pleased to introduce to you uh, Reverend Dr. Cody Watson. I have not gotten to meet um, Cody until this morning, um, but uh, we, uh, we support an organization called Frontier Fellowship, which he's been involved with a long time. It's a really neat organization that is, is, it focuses on the frontier of missions work. So what are the people groups, where are the places around the world that have never heard about Jesus? The languages that have no Bible, the people that have never heard it, even who, they're not even aware of, it, of somebody named Jesus. Um, and so that's the idea of the frontier. And so they want to be on those edges, uh, on those uh, seams, trying to find the gospel and show the gospel to those places. And then they're also an organization that wants to help connect churches with those places because the Bible is pretty clear that we are meant to go make disciples. That means we're supposed to go to the uttermost parts of the earth and that in the end we're supposed to have bowing people from every nation and tongue. That's every language, that's every people. And so um, to fulfill that, we need to be out there. And, and so it's great that we get to partner with an organization like Frontier Fellowship and uh, I don't know if you all know this, but here, right up the road here in New Wilmington is a pretty amazing mission conference. The New Wilmington Mission Conference happens every summer. I don't know why more churches and local people don't stop by because there's missionaries from all around the world. And so I uh, decided this summer um, I wanted to start making it a point to get somebody here, um, especially since I could take the week off. So I've been on vacation all week. <laughs> And I didn't have to pray a prayer sermon, and then I walked in today to do this. So uh, Cody's been with the organization for a long time. He's a, an emeritus senior associate. Um, he's been in mission work around the world, focusing in uh, South Asia, doing discipleship. And what you're going to hear him do today, which is oral Bible storytelling. Uh, so he's going to tell uh, a story from the Bible um, and, and sort of use a, a sort of a, a different kind of oral telling of the story. So... Excited to have him. Can we please welcome Dr. Cody Watson? very unique opportunity and I'm glad to be here I'm glad to meet Jordan and Tom I see out there I won't tell that story Tom but I do want to invite all of you to come to the new Wilmington missionary conference or mission conference this is the 117th year and you're gonna have Thomas Coot yeah I met him once from Sudan and I never knew anything about Sudan and came I, until I came to the I call it NWMC, New Wilmington Mission Conference, and I remember back in 1998, hearing a story from Bill Lowry, and I, I hadn't told this in years. There was a Presbyterian church in the southern part of Sudan, now South Sudan, and there was a worship service, and all of a sudden, 60 Muslims come walking into the back of the church up to the front. And if you'd been sitting there, what would you have thought? What would have been your emotion? Fear, something, yeah. And they and they said, "What do you want?" And says, "We want to know who Jesus is." And they'd all had dreams or visions of a man in white and didn't know what it meant. And they said, "Well, this Sudanese Presbyterians can probably tell us." And they welcomed them in. But God is at work, 
And you can hear more about South Sudan. I just heard UN has had cut back all food rations because of what's going on in Ukraine and with Russia. Grain shipments have been cut back and it's just a, a tragedy. And I'm just, and you better give me some time frame there, Jordan. I can start wandering. How many of you like to hear a story? Good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Jesus was the greatest storyteller. In Matthew 13, 34, he said he didn't teach anything without a parable or a story. And so I want to tell you a story, and I'm doing this like a third of the world cannot read and write. And even if they had a Bible, it wouldn't be much advantage to them because they couldn't read and understand it. And I've got to share this. I broke up my, I'm, it's 825 miles from Birmingham to New Wilmington. And I broke it up, I stopped off thir Thursday night in Knoxville, Tennessee to see a cousin of mine, my second cousin, Ned and Anna Garlington, and Anna's been to the conference once. And they just came back from eight years in Saudi Arabia. And they had a Saudi young lady in their home. And I said, what's your story? And that's just a question we can use now, what's your story? And she's been a follower of Jesus for five years. And she said part of her story, she was on the second floor. She's the ninth child of 13. Her father had four <laughs> wives, and her real mother is now divorced to her father. But she's on the second floor of the house where she's living. And looked down the window, and somebody was waving in the window clothed in white. And she asked an imam later, who's that? And then later on, somebody gave her a Bible, and she tried to read it, but it didn't make any sense. And then right after she was reading the Bible, she put it in her closet. And then she had a dream of a light coming out of her closet. And in her dream, she got up and went to her closet, opened up the closet, and that light was just shining from the Bible. And she got back to the Bible, and that's just part of her own journey now she's a follower of Jesus Christ. I hear about dreams and visions in that part of the world. I've never had one like that, but her name is Amy, and now she's studying in Urbana, Illinois, and what do you call IT or library science, information services. Anyway, this is another story of what God is doing around the world. But a third of the world cannot read and write. So I'm going to tell you a story. And you can check it out. Read John chapter 4 and check me out if you have your Bible or look at it even now. But when Jesus, this is how it begins, and this is from the Word of God. But you need to check me out to see if it really is from the Word of God. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist, although he wasn't, his disciples were, he left Judea to go again to the Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And he came to a city in Samaria called Sychar, which was near the parcel of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, being weary from his journey, sat down on the well. And all the disciples had gone into the city to buy food. And a woman of Samaria came out to draw water. And he said to her, give me a drink. And that's the first scene. And if we were doing a real Discovery Bible study, I'd say, what do you like about that story? What do you not like about the story? What can we learn about God? What can we learn about human nature? And who are you going to tell the story to? That's just a part of the story. One thing we learned real quickly is that Jesus got tired. So it shows his humanity. And then the key thing is he asked for a drink of water. 
And he put himself in a dependent position or a humble position, asked for a drink of water. And since he broke the sound barrier, when you meet somebody and engage in conversation, what's your story? Break the sound barrier. People want to tell their story, and if you'll listen, they're going to tell you a story. And then if you listen to their story, what gives you the right? You might be able to share your story, or maybe something from their story. You might know some scripture that ties into that. Well, the second scene. Disciples had gone to buy food, and so Jesus at the well with the woman, and she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water? And Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is speaking to you, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. That's the second scene. He takes him from a relationship, a dependent relationship, where he was looking to her for help, and if you go in another culture, and I've done this, say, can you teach me how to say hello? Or can you help me speak Thai or whatever the language is? People are going to gladly try to help you. And so you're getting into a conversation. Jesus got into a conversation, and he broke the sound barrier. But he broke two barriers, not just the sound barrier. Because you read in the parenthesis there, Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. And other than that, she was a woman. And because of Judaism and that culture, men would never speak to a woman in public unless it was their wife. So he's broken the barriers about Jews and Samaritans and breaking the barrier between men and women in public. And then he turns the conversation to spiritual needs. I would have given you living water. And then the third scene, she says, Sir, you don't have anything to draw with, and this well is deep. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and he drank from it and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus went on to say to her, whoever drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But who drinks the water I give shall never thirst and the water will become in them a well springing up to eternal life. And then she said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty and I don't have to come all this way to draw water. Now we need to go back to this first scene. What time, of the, what time of the day was it? It was about noon. And that's a hot, arid climate. If you're going to draw water, what time of the day would you want to go to draw water? Can you talk to me, somebody? Can you blow your horn at me or something? In the morning, yes, cooler. Or late in the afternoon when the sun's gone down. So why is it that she goes in the middle of the day to draw water? She was a social outcast. And the other women didn't want anything to do with her. And then we get an idea from what Jesus engages her and he says to her, go, call for your husband and come here. And he says, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you've spoken correctly. You have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. You have spoken the truth. And so you begin to see Jesus cause her to deal with some of her brokenness. And we're all broken people. And as part of the progression, he engages her. He takes you to spiritual things, and she sows some interest. But before you deal with the interest, you deal with the brokenness. Why are we broken? Why? And the scriptures tell us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us are broken people. We're sinful people. 
And so he causes her to deal with some of her brokenness. And we don't know all the context of how she had five husbands and the person she was then living with was not her husband. We don't know all that. She may have been abused to start with. We don't know the context, but she's broken. And then she's getting a little nervous. And somebody's dealing with some of your inner feelings. You start to get nervous. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. She tries to change the subject. She says, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Now you people, our fathers have worshipped here in this mountain, but you people say we have to worship in Jerusalem. And so she's trying to get him off tangent, tangent. But Jesus says, woman, believe me, the time is now coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. And the time is coming when those who worship the Father must worship Him in spirit and truth. For those are the kinds of worshipers God wants. For God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And then she says, I know that the Messiah, who is called Christ, is coming. And He will explain all these things to us. Then Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. There he claims to be the Messiah, the coming one. And there it's another intermission. Because he's revealing who he is, and all that time, right at that moment, the disciples come back. And they're amazed that Jesus is speaking to a woman. But they don't ask, what do you want or why are you speaking to her? And they kind of ignore her, and she leaves her water pot. And she runs into the city to tell all the men, come here, a man who's told me everything I've ever done. And she asks them, this is not the Christ, is it? Then all the men of the city becoming coming out towards Jesus. In the meantime, the disciples are saying, Rabbi, eat. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. And they begin talking among themselves. Has somebody brought him something to eat? And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me and to complete His work. You say there's yet four months to the harvest. I say lift up your eyes and look on the fields which are white for harvest. He says even now those who are reaping are gathering fruit and building up fruit for eternal life, that those who sow and those who reap may rejoice together, for in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. And I have sent you to reap in areas where others have labored. And that's kind of the end of that story for a while. I've only been to Israel twice, and I met Ken over there, and he's wearing a hat from has Israel on it, asking about it. His wife went to Israel. And see, you know, a lot of people would go to Nepal, and what do you get? Well, I've got a shirt that says, I've been to Nepal. So he gets a hat. His wife goes to Israel, and he gets a hat. But I got to go there, and I was telling somebody... I was with a group in Atlanta, Georgia, and we got into Hebron, the West Bank, and then we got to go to Samaria, and we had a lunch there, and we're walking to this plate glass window, and I can't believe what I'm seeing. It says, Roll Tide! <laughs> and there's a, a, I think a 2004 championship ticket taped to the window. It says, Where am I? This is Samaria, Israel, the Middle East. And we go, that's the best meal we had on the eight days I was over there. And I find out that he got a, he studied for a master's degree in business in Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And then I brought this because I'm talking about the woman at the well. This is made out of olive wood. 
And I went to that restaurant in 2012, and two or three years ago, I was at the gallery in Birmingham, and there was a, a table of all this olive wood there, and there was a young lady there, and I thought she might have been Pakistani or Indian, I didn't know. So I didn't say anything, I was walking, and I came back, so I stopped to talk to her, and I said, where are you from? Engaged in conversation. And she said, I'm from uh, Samaria. Oh, I said, the best meal I ever had on my trip to Israel, of course, to Samaria. And you know what she said? That's my father's restaurant. What? <laughs> 10 years later in Birmingham, Alabama, I meet, and well, he says, We're, he's outside smoking right now. And Mama, he came in, and that's, I bought this as a mem kind of memory of, the, of that, but also the woman of the world, this story. And I gotta close this, I know. I'm wearing this today because back in April, we have a new staffer, and how many of y'all know, know Denise Sutu? She lives in New Wilmington. She's on, okay, some of you do. She's been here? I don't know. Invite her. She'll tell you about Sudan, and she's on the Sudan Network, and Tom is a part of the Sudan Network. And I really didn't even, anyway, I'll see Denise later this afternoon because we have a mission fair over at Westminster College. And again, come tonight to hear a guy speaking or come during the way. Last night was powerful. A guy named Prashan from Sri Lanka spoke. He went to Gordon College in Boston, and one of our staff, Brad, was a classmate of him. And if you know all the chaos going on in Sri Lanka right now, you know, we think inflation is bad, 9.1%. He said inflation in Sri Lanka is 75%. And he said to buy a gallon of petrol cost you $50. And their president had to flee the country because of corruption. But anyway, that's another story. And he'll be speaking every morning this week for the next four mornings, five mornings. But I was in India, and I tried to get into Mizoram, Northeast India. The first Indian I ever met in seminary was Rintli Limbwanga, and he died about two and a half years ago. And I tried to see him. I could never get into Mizoram. But finally, I got into to Mizoram in June with Jim Truesdale, and the whole family gathered, and they felt honored that we came all that way to, to honor their father and grandfather. It was a beautiful time, but I want to tell you about the story of the Mizo people before it ties in his last passage in John. They were known as headhunters. And the British said, leave them alone. We don't want to mess with them. They were fierce warriors. But one day, a, a group of Mizo warriors came down from the hills and attacked at the British tea plantation. And they're never seen blonde hair. And there's a little six-year-old girl by the name of Mary Winchester. I think that's right, Winchester. They kidnapped her. And one of the Indian workers who escaped from the tea plantation communicated that to the British Raj and the British Army. And so they went up into the hills of Mizoram and they rescued the little girl. But along with the British Army went some Welsh Presbyterian missionaries and English Baptist missionaries. And that was the first time the Mizo people didn't have any contact with the gospel. And that was probably 1890. In 1894, they commemorate their first believer. And there's a sign there in Izal, the capital city, it's there, the centennial, 100 years ago, 1994, and Harold Kurtz, who was there. But they were headhunters. And because of that little girl, that became the bridge to the gospel for the Welsh Presbyterians and English Baptists. And the state of Mizoram is only 1.1 million people. But 100%, or 95% at least, are followers of Jesus Christ. And the Mizo Presbyterian Church small church, but they have 2,000 missionaries. 
And every meal, their rice culture, rice growing culture, they would take a handful of rice and set it apart for missions. And somebody reminded me of this. I'd forgotten and told it. I first tried to get in there in 1979, and I couldn't get in. I went to Shalong. And just out of gratitude, and from Rinsu and Manga and my friends and their host, they gave me a big blanket. I wrote them a check for $25. And later on, they said, that's the first outside money we've ever received from anyone. 1979. They have a mission-minded church. And so that little girl was a bridge to a people movement. And that's what Jesus was referring to. And I didn't know this until I went to Samaria, because after we had that meal, we met a Samaritan priest. And there was a, a, a mural of the woman at the well to the left of him, and we got engaged in conversation. But when Jesus says, look up, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, they're white for harvest. And I said, what does that mean? Does grain turn white? Does barley turn white? But I found out that all the Samaritans, they wear white. And as Jesus says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, he saw a field of white moving towards him. And all the men of the city were coming out clothed in white. And then they engaged Jesus. And they said, we believe, not to the woman, they said, now we believe not because of your testimony, but we've heard for the truth for ourselves. And they got Jesus to stay two more days. And then they finally said, now we believe for ourselves that Jesus is the Savior of the world. The Good Samaritan woman started a people movement. That little girl, Mary Winchester, was a start of a people movement. And there are different movements of people come taking place all over the world right now. Harold Kurtz used to say he was our founder and director. He'd say the gospel is out of control. The Holy Spirit is out of control. We need more moves. He says you'll never complete the Great Commission incrementally. In addition, it's people moves. And that's what God is doing, stirring it. And I want to close with this thought. And Jordan mentioned it at the beginning. A third of the world today has no access to who Jesus Christ and their language or culture. When I graduated from seminary in 1976 in Decatur, Georgia, world population had just reached 4 billion. World population sometime this year is going to reach 8 billion. But you know, it's not just you have to go overseas, but do come to the New Wilmington Missionary Conference, Mission Conference. It's not a missionary conference that's changing the mission because we're all involved in mission. You know, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. But God has also brought all the nations of the world to Newcastle, Pennsylvania. I don't know the ethnic makeup here, but in my street in Bluff Park, Alabama, I now have two families from Yemen and a family up the street from Nigeria, and his wife was in Niger, and he died back in February in the first Muslim funeral, and I got to share the gospel with him. I haven't yet done it with Amar, who's across the street, my Yemen neighbor next door to Fayez, I'm giving him a Bible, and he's giving me the Quran. But I finally just got to get into, tell me your story. But what do you think of Jesus? And so as you see people here in Newcastle, if you don't get into conversation, what's your story? But what I want you to remember, how are you investing your talent? I'm glad that, as Jordan says, y'all are involved in Frontier Fellowship, and I don't know where you're involved, you're involved in Sudan, and you can hear more about that next Sunday. But come to the new Wilmington Mission Conference and have your vision exploded. And I just say, praise the Lord. May God bless you and pour out. And I'll close with this one. Oh, Barb, I don't know if you know this song. 
You probably do. Fill my cup, Lord. Yes. I don't know if you're going to sing that or not. No. That would be something, huh? Yeah, I, I could, and I'm not. <laughs> but that song, Fill My Cup, Lord, I lift it up with, Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Men and women are hungry for the good news we can also take for granted. So you ask the people you see, if they're dark-skinned, or maybe you can see them other far away, say, hey, where are you from? Just engage them. And say, tell me something about your story. Just begin our relationships. And may the God, the Father Almighty, bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you that all the ends of the earth may know Him. God bless you. Thank you.